Let's All Go to the Lobby was once an invitation for the audience to take a break between movies, to restock on popcorn, candy, and soda pop. Now Arizona Spotlight host Mark McLemore, film essayist Chris DeShiel, filmmaker Robert Loomis, and photographer Pamela Sentman invite you to join them in the lobby to stock up on recommendations and film history in an ongoing conversation about movies from any time and everywhere. Well, the ugly truth that no one wants to admit is that most silent films aren't very good. There are a few very great silent films and then a few very good silent films. And then there's just a lot of stuff that was produced for the masses and they have historical interest. Yeah. But you watch them today and it's kind of like you have to make allowances. My passion for science fiction and horror um, makes that era valuable for those films. But the melodrama dominated the era as the most popular genre. Yep. And I find nothing in those films, typically. Well, for me, like Chris said, with the historical context is always what's most interesting to me about it. Like, my favorite era is, like, the 1910s through the 1920s. And so those silent films for me is just, like, watching just, you know, I, it sounds like I could watch them on mute. That doesn't make any sense. But I could watch them <laughs> without the sto- without the monster. cards. Exactly. <laughs> I could watch them without the story cards or without the dialogue. You could watch it without the inner titles almost. Yeah, because I, I just enjoy watching the movement of it. Like, I just, I love the clothing. I love just the look of everybody. And I, I think you and I both enjoyed the look of that movie that was called Sex. Yes. Also known as Spider-Woman. Yes. Um, I love that film. And I, I also just love that I, I'm pretty sure in my mind I've made it take place at the Dakota Apartments in New York, which is my favorite uh, my favorite building in New York, my favorite building in the world, basically. And it was a apartment building for artists and like the, the theatrical folk for a long time. And so because she's supposed to be this theatrical actress in like the environment, you know, the kind of place that she's living in I've kind of put her in there in my head and there's some other very cool posh locations like a cruise ship yes and they look nice well this brings to mind another uh, experience I had where I got the movie Wings which is famous as the answer to a trivia question (laughs) what was the first best picture and I thought well I'll watch this I've seen some clips with some exciting aerial photography so I'll watch this and you know it'll be good for me it'll be my bowl of granola it turned out it was a great movie. It's it was fantastic. It was full of fun. It it was gr- had great editing, and the the three leads the love were triangle extremely vibrant. Yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah. yeah, and I was I was so sucked into it. It's the kind of film that if I think of it now, I imagine it in color with sound because those things were were somehow there. Yeah, well, and also when it premiered, actually, it was you know back in the day when people you know going to the theater was it was a big deal and like you know they would have full orchestras playing the whole time and so for wings especially like when it was playing in both new york and la not only did they have the full orchestras but they actually had people making sound effects throughout it and like you know when there was you know bombings and things like i that. thought you were going to tell me they had airplanes buzz but the audience. <laughs> i mean they basically they were had... barnstormers it was kind of like that yeah. <laughs> but yeah they, they actually tried to recreate the sounds a lot and then they also <laughs> colored the film and so like you know there are parts where there would be streaks of color not just the battle scenes but in different parts too so you know watching it live back then it would have seemed like a theatrical event they would try to go the extra mile to fill in that missing uh, sensory input in the latter part of the 20s uh, movies started to really come into their own and they started to develop really sophisticated editing techniques and so I'm kind of the opposite of 
Pam or I, I, I suffer through the 1910s just for educational. Those are my granolas most of the time. <laughs> um, but once they get into the latter 20s, there's a lot of really great stuff to, to see. Um, with exceptions, you know. I mean, there's Griffith in the 1910s. I mean, he kind of invented film language in a lot of ways in those years. I think that Paul Lenny from that era, who was a, a silent film director who only made a few films before dying early, I think he had food poisoning or something and it, it killed mm. him, but he is an amazing director, The Cat and the Canary. In the first few minutes of that film display such uh, such deft direction. Um, we're told this whole backstory about this man dying and his house and his heirs, and there's a nice dissolve between a picture of a cat and the house that I find uh, quite exciting. Uh, what year did uh, Cat and the Canary come out? 1927, according to IMDb. Yeah, Paul Lenny, uh, just another <clears throat> example of all the German directors that came over here when Hitler started rose to power, they fled mm -hmm. and enriched Hollywood with their style. I mean, just so important. Lang and uh, Murnau and Lubitsch and the mm -hmm. list goes on and on. So I, I think what the lesson that, I, that I'm sort of trying to say that I've learned is that even when I might think a film like Wings has little to offer, I can often be pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as a, a horror and science fiction film fan, first of all, that's how I identify would identify myself if I had to. And unfortunately nobody ever asked me to identify myself that way. But <laughs> but I would I would definitely say that as soon as I see even a even a minor horror film like something like The Bells, which has a very early appearance from um, Boris Karloff wearing makeup that makes him look quite a bit like Dr. Caligari. Um, I'm riveted to those films and will overlook their shortcomings because I'm so interested in the genre and I'm rooting for those films to be good. I will overlook their defects and I won't succumb to the, I always think of, uh, when I think of silent movie acting of when um, the young man wakes up in Nosferatu and he stretches and oh, it's, you know, it's, it's just has, it's, it's so comical by our standards, the way yeah. his acting is in that scene. But I'm not going to laugh at it because it's in Nosferatu and it's a great film. And I'm going to damn well sit there and watch it and enjoy it. Um, I think laughing is almost sometimes the easy way out with those sorts of films. Yeah. If you're not ready to meet them at their artistic level uh, yeah. and watch them, you laugh at them. And that's there's a huge market for that on, online, as we've talked in a yeah, one of our previous podcasts, is that people think it's you know the mst 3 king a movie is fine and it is fine i you know i'm not gonna say any movies above that kind of treatment but at the same time it's the easy way out i mean yeah, yeah you can laugh at it but well that's try that's, watching it yeah and that's one of the things that's so interesting to me about that era is just like people finding the film language or people or actors finding you know they're all transitioning from vaudeville and so they everybody is overacting and like it, it's just the you know, it's this, the way some actors find their place within it. And that's what's interesting to me. And that was the signal we're going to the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there was pantomime. and pantomime, at first, people thought that meant you had to really gesticulate very widely. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time for film acting to become a different art where people understood that the face could express a lot without moving that much. And the body didn't have to move that much. And it took years and years before they, certain pioneers developed that. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> no, apropos of probably nothing, I, I saw the 1931 version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde recently, the one with Frederick March. Yeah. And uh, they kept saying, Dr. Jekyll. 
The, Chico, I was going to say Chico. the only one where they actually and say Chico. And I, I was I was outraged. I thought, oh, these idiots are mispronouncing it. And then I looked it up, and it was like that's how Stevenson pronounced. It. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And we—that's one of the charming things about that version, uh, which is a very good movie. Um, Frederick March has a strange Tom Hanks like quality, or I guess, of course, that would be the other way around. Mm, yeah. But there's a you know he was known for romantic comedies and for uh, generally upbeat fare. He did a very dark film with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, well, Ruben Mamoulian directed it, but he presented a great dark performance in right. that. Won the Oscar for it. Sure did, and deserved it, every bit mm-hmm. of it. Also, another great dark role of his was in Death Takes a Holiday, where he oh, played yeah. the embodiment of death, Prince Serki. Yeah. That film is nihilistic and dark as heck. They ought to show that to goths in high school <laughs> and give them something to really sink their teeth into because I mean you can learn a lot from nice. that movie every character waxes at some point or another waxes about life uh, draining away and signs of death and decay it's it's a uh, it's a heavy oh, film I have to see that. highly recommended huh? yeah death takes a holiday I also understand it's it it's actually pronounced Frankenstein <laughs> 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 I would, I would the, love to fly in. At least the, according uh, to Gene Wilder. Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. Before we leave the wonderfully fertile topic of uh, uh, fast food endorsements and movies, um, I was recently at a uh, popular uh, sandwich chain, which shall remain nameless. <laughs> I saw on the wall a picture of a bear uh, advertising their kids' meals. Huh. And I thought... Man, they're doing a revenant tie-in. Like, <laughs> this is hardcore. <laughs> but it was actually for the new Jungle Book, of course, uh, which has a bear in it. Also, oh, yeah. I believe he's named Baloo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, revenant tie-in. I, I, for a moment, I really thought that's what was going on, and I was going to be like, man. Turns out they're not as hardcore as I thought. <laughs> Eat your way through a Leonardo DiCaprio sandwich. It's vegetarian. <laughs> Computer chess. Yes. Um, have you have you reevaluated, Pam? No, I've not. I I'm I'm I have to say, <laughs> I'm really glad I watched it. Uh, did not necessarily enjoy it while watching. It's wonderful on so many levels, but it it's kind of felt like a. A feature-length episode of The Office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can and, see that. And uh, in it, but it more surreal and, and and probably ultimately more satisfying. But it's sort of like I felt like I waited that whole movie for that last the, the, the shot in the last half second uh, of the film. See, and, I, and, I should and, never <laughs> talk about movies before I loan them because I, I I will make these things sound like they're you know like painted on scrolls you know like they're just the finest art you've ever seen and then people are always giving me movies back and going well it's, it's all right. I thought it was hilarious it is it, it's it's funny but it's that it's that office kind of humor which which is just uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, uh, yeah. exactly. It's like yeah. the cringe, like you're cringing yeah. more than you're laughing. Well, as I keep describing it, it's a comedy without any jokes. There's yeah. there's no actual joke in the movie. Yeah. It's just odd. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still respect it. I was I was saying this earlier. Like I I respect what they're doing. I it's you know I I get it. I just it's not something I'm probably gonna watch over. The opening the 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 feel of the of the the moment at the recreation boy i was just really impressed with how much he nailed that 
time period and the, the people there, the way they looked, mm-hmm. uh, as much as the costuming, just just the types almost, you know. It was a uh, so that part was it was impressive. It was an impressive film, impressive in its in its <laughs> uh, single mindedness too, with the going to that length with to use the uh, the old Sony. Uh, 1969 security XV 1000s yeah. or whatever they yeah. were, you know. Yeah, basically the kind of things that a, a you know, a um, you store it place would have in, <laughs> yeah. in their parking lot. Yeah. Um, uh, the reviewer in the AV Club really wrote a, a, a nice summation of why the film worked for for him. And I agree with what he said. And one of the, the points that he made was that it's a very free movie. It's somehow evoking that magical part of cinema that is so often shaved out of a movie by the time an audience mm, sees it. I could see yeah. um, that that anything could happen. Now, the fact that nothing actually does happen <laughs> might, to some people, be viewed as uh, detracting from the overall package. But perhaps I just enjoyed reveling in that moment of freedom. And that yeah. it's sort of like when you get paid and your wallet's full of money and you you've got all these possibilities. Now the next day you're broke and you've paid your bills and you've restocked your cabinet. But but there's that moment of like, oh, I could, man, I could almost do anything with 300 bucks. <laughs> like, what can I not do? You know? And it's perhaps the film touched me on that level. I, I don't know. Um, Chris watched it with his wife, Elizabeth, and uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about how that went down. Well, she thought it was just, she didn't understand it at all. She thought it was like <laughs> completely lame. <laughs> I mean, why is it shot like that in this grainy black and white? And what's going on? Who are these people? What are you talking about? <laughs> so that's really, you know, summing up her reaction there. Yeah. You know, there's the film actually has fan theories built around it. Uh, uh-huh. You know, even even this film is inspiring fan theories these uh-huh. days. Somebody, you know, you got to have something to click on on the Internet. Yeah. And one of them is that what we are actually seeing when you watch computer chess is a computer of that era running a program studying human interaction kind of creating a um what's the word i'm looking for a simulation Mm. based around that hotel with that number of people there and seeing what happens and that there's a there's a part in the film where one of the characters actually two of them leave and they drive across town or across the city or into um, one of the guy's mother's house. Right. And at that point, the film suddenly shifts into color for the first time mm-hmm. and a slightly higher resolution of video. But it begins to glitch out even more to the point where the, the movie actually crashes. And then you return back to the hotel setting without ever finding out what happened to those characters who left, which to some people further enforces the idea that it was a computer program and that at that point they went too far off the grid. The, the program couldn't um, calculate anymore, so I don't. I, I don't know. I'm I not like, saying. I like that description. <laughs> <laughs> so it's I, like in Grand Theft Auto when you try to go too far in one direction, you, you just yeah, you, right. The, the boat sinks. In the old day, you would hit an invisible wall. These yeah. days, stranger things happen than that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, for me, there's there's somehow or another there's a cast of film filmic characters in my head that has built up over time. It's not a finite number, but it's just some characters jump out of the movies that they're in and become icons or, or reference points for me in the way I think about life. 
And for me, the character in that film of the programmer who leaves and and therefore is part of the crash, uh, his last name is Papa George. Yeah. Um, he he's 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 bigger than that movie to me somehow or another. <laughs> Papa George lives on in my head. <laughs> the way he has to angrily spell his last name for everybody. Like that. I just I found him charming. I wanted to know more about him. The fact that he shows up to this nerd convention in a three piece suit, you know, and things like that. When as soon as you started uh, discussing that the character that that somehow uh, rises above or stands out, I was I figured you were going to be talking mentioning Papa George. Yeah, at least his, that's who I. Yeah, his path is the most uh, divergent of any of the characters. I think he because he ends up spending the night in in the gymnasium and then the next day takes part in that couples therapy <laughs> session. Yeah. <Right> anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I have not seen any of that filmmaker's other work. He comes from the genre that is referred to as mumblecore. Yeah, yeah. The most recent one is uh, Results. That's right, that's right, yeah. With Guy Pearce and that uh, Kobe Smulders, the woman who was from the sitcom. Excellent. I have a Lego figure. Funny. (laughs) It's true. Excellent and funny. It's much more mainstream, but he hasn't sold out. He's really, his, the script is just, it's believable as actual people that are stumbling through life and that what doesn't turn out the way you expect. I was really impressed with the fact that there were no recognizable names or actors in, in computer chess and was impressed with Sundance for having selected it and is recently in 2013 without, uh, you know, names being present. Yeah, uh, probably the most famous cast member is Wiley Wiggins, who has only done very low-budget films before, but at least he did have something of a uh, resume mm-hmm. before the movie. But, but you know, the director talks about how he cast several people who were not actors on purpose, so <laughs> not, not by accident. <laughs> um, I found the young lady in the film really engrossing and fun to watch. She, yes. she plays off the, the idea that she's the only female in that whole organization very well, very believable, the, <laughs> yeah. the way she has to fend off the unwanted uh, attention. Yeah, yeah. that's just that room where, or that scene where she's in the room with all the men. It just it, I, like it made me so uncomfortable on so many. <laughs> like it was so hard getting through that scene. I was teasing Pam about that movie earlier, and she's like, I don't hate computer chess. Oh. I'm like, I know, but what other film do we have that's this special? It's, I, Mark's <laughs> referring to the time I was I was I had appendicitis and – I had not yet gone to the emergency room, and I was watching computer chess. And While it, her body was breaking down and silently <laughs> trying to kill her, she was she was watching this obtuse black and white comedy. Well, that will affect the way you view the film. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Mark claims, but I'm not I'm not sure. As the color drained from her face, making her look like the characters in the film. Well, I'll tell you when I watched the the piano, <laughs> and I was in the middle of a relationship that was falling apart uh, that really tainted <laughs> the viewing pleasure see, of that I can film. imagine yeah oh huh she's sleeping with someone else <laughs> and Harvey Keitel nude that's yeah. just yeah. what I didn't want to see yeah he actually his nude scene in uh, The Bad Lieutenant is one of my favorite male nude scenes yeah. in a film <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie well I- <laughs> Well, I, that's actually uh, when I describe myself naked, I refer to that. 
you have many occasions to describe that? That's come up a couple times. I I didn't see uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, but I really wish I had. Uh, And I really wish that it had had become a series. You know, like there should be more of those films. (laughs) Just like CSI. It's 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 Vander Herzog, though. And, you know, it's like he's always worth a look, in my opinion. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, the mystery of Casper Hauser on, on the bus the other day, you and I. That's like my favorite of his movies. The way he evokes the strangeness of this character, and he picked a a schizophrenic abuse survivor to play Casper Hauser, and it was an inspired choice. Um, was he a, a non-actor? A oh, non-actor. Okay. That he a had just met. He was like he was a street musician. Oh, so they and weren't even met. like necessarily friends. They just had met each other, and Herzog decided to cast him. Yes, and he used him again in another film, and he was great in that. Strozek. I mean, that's a film where he plays a, of course, very eccentric person who ends up migrating to Wisconsin. And the whole ordeal of him trying to figure out how to survive in America. I don't know what else to say, except it has a, uh, it ends on a shot of a uh, rotating mechanical chicken. So that's something to see. (laughs) Put in my cue right now. Herzog, always... Always interesting. 